Hello and welcome to Baka Banter, a podcast about all things anime and otaku culture. My name is Ravi and I'm joined by the lad who's living it up out in suburbia, Yanatan. Do you want to say hi, Yanni? I can't believe that after all the shit I have talked in my life about New Jersey, I now live in New Jersey, part-time for now. <laughs> New Jersey, I have nothing for or against this fucking state, but... For some reason, New Jersey just gets the butt end of the stick every time. And you live there, and you're out here being like, man, I, I love it. It's great. They have a Japanese store like two blocks away. I'm seeing you there with your 20-foot ceilings and your fucking massive apartment. Get out of here. Living near Princeton definitely has its perks. I don't know about the entirety of the state, but I feel like it often gets shat on probably more than it deserves because it's right next to New York. And New Yorkers are so fucking proud of their city that anything nearby is just automatically shit so no connecticut doesn't get that but connecticut's like a little more removed you know what it's literally called the tri-state area it's connected i know to new but york. new jersey's like right there <laughs> you know she gets a bad rep bro it definitely gets a, probably a worse rep than it deserves but uh yeah i just moved out here and it's pretty nice so far apartment is nice hopefully it doesn't sound too fucking reverby over this podcast is the first episode Sounds I'm actually I'm actually me. recording here. <laughs> and as you mentioned, the ceilings on this apartment that I just moved into are really tall. So we'll see how this goes. <laughs> I think it would help if you had any furniture, but it sounds like you just have a futon and a yoga mat and a desk. This is very true. We have like basically no furniture. So I was just telling you that our apartment fundamentally looks like some yoga studio where you have like huge windows and we have a yoga mat and some sports equipment on the floor and then a desk. And that's all we have in our like giant hardwood <laughs> living floor. Giant comparatively to the apartment we had in Brooklyn. The reason that we have no furniture is because we are currently keeping also the place out in Brooklyn and then eventually we'll end that lease in like a month and a half basically and then move all of our furniture into this place. But for now, while we're split between two places, we didn't want to buy a bunch of double furniture so it is just kind of empty around here i was just saying buy new stuff why Start that's fresh. so dumb <laughs> you have so much more space now you're gonna have to figure out like you could get a bigger bed we already have a queen why do we need a that's a bed? queen i thought that yeah. was a full no, that's a queen, a queen size yeah man's living in luxury out here <laughs> what you really change your tune so fast <laughs> <laughs> all right let's get into the anime news so First piece of news is that the Spy Family movie Code White got announced officially to be screening in North America starting April 19th. I think they also said worldwide, so it will probably screen in other countries as well. I don't know if those dates have been announced yet, but we've talked a lot about Spy Family and about that movie, and I'm excited to actually see it. Again, it's going to be a Christmas movie that we're seeing in April, but I'm happier to get to see it out of season than not see it at all in theaters. I'm excited to see it. Surprisingly, I'm not even caught up with Spy Family. It's been kind of one of those things that we've put off a little bit. And I know I'm going to derail this news section, but that's because we just rewatched Vinland Saga, or at least I just rewatched Vinland Saga, and my partner watched it for the first time. And I have to say, anything bad I've ever said about Vinland Saga, which, you know, probably hasn't been much, I retract all of that. It is so fucking good. And I do think that rewatching is necessary for some shows. And Vinland Saga is one of them. I enjoyed it so much more this second time. I don't know what it was about my first time watching it. But it just felt disjointed to me. I didn't really see the character development arc for Canute. I didn't even remember Leif Erikson when we started season That's two, crazy. if you remember. <laughs> 
And this rewatch was so necessary for me, I think. I just today finished the last episode of the first season, went on Mal, and just bumped it up to a 10 for me. It is so fucking good and everything from every character development arc to the political maneuvering behind the scenes to the music. I don't know what I ended up picking as best OST for that year, but Vanland Saga is definitely a competitor. It is so good in every respect. If you haven't seen it yet, you need to go watch it. I'm really excited to move on to season two again now. The good news is that you didn't pick anything over it because I don't think we have the podcast yet at that point. Um, yeah, you are going to derail this news section. That is great that you actually are now getting into the season two content. I think you will probably appreciate that now so much more getting yeah. through it right after watching season one and seeing all of Torfin's actual character development. So I'm really excited to hear your thoughts on that. I would literally be so fucking shocked if this wasn't also a 10 for you and yeah. you didn't also love it because I think it's even better than the first season. But also I am surprised that you're saying that you're retracting anything bad that you've said about Vidla Saga because I've never heard you say anything bad about Vidla Saga in the first place. <laughs> That's what I was wondering when I was sitting there watching it. Yeah, even today, I was like, what were my comments about Vinland Saga? And I don't know. We don't often go back and listen to our old content. And I was like, maybe I should go back and look at some of our first impressions episodes or like years in review if I had any criticisms. And honestly, I don't think I do. It is just so good and every respect. The characters are some of the best characters I've seen in anime. I think the reason I'm kind of gushing about it now is because I have so few tens that I ever give out. I have less than like five or six tens on Mal. To say I added it to this is a big thing for me. Even that discrepancy between a nine and a ten is massive. And I think that watching Vinlisaga again has made it so memorable for me that I I'm not going to be able to forget it. It is like a life-changing experience to watch this show in so many ways. And I just think it's amazing. I completely agree. And I think we talked about it in definitely our Wit Studio episode. And we talked about season two and first impressions. And again, in both of those, I think we both were singing its praises, basically. So I don't think you have to retract anything. Except don't think you said anything negative. But it is nice, nice to nice. hear you very, very positive. And I'm really looking forward to you getting through some yeah. of the really big developments in season two. It's going to be fun. Back to the news. Back to the news. You only derailed it a little bit. I think it's okay. <laughs> Another movie that's screening in North America at the end of March is a double feature for the two shorter Rascal Does Not Dream of Bunny Girl Senpai movies. I think it's Knapsack Kid and Sister Venturing Out are the two. So those are finally coming. We actually just bought tickets to go see those the other day. You're going to have to watch the movie that I'm pretty sure you haven't seen that chronologically comes after the first season to prep for that. But we're going to have a little bunny girl date. <laughs> I think that's also another show that I'm probably going to have to rewatch <laughs> because I don't remember a lot from Bunny Girl. We watched it so long ago. I know you fucking hate all of this science mumbo and jumbo they talk about. I, I was relatively agnostic. So I know I said in our last episode that that was an annoying part for me. I just don't remember a lot of it. I think I'm going to have to rewatch that too. But I am excited. I really do remember liking Bunny Girl Senpai, at least the Sakura Jima arc of it. Yeah, the first season I also remember liking a decent about the follow-up movie I was not crazy about. I think a lot of other people also were not crazy about, but hopefully these movies are narratively a little bit more interesting so they'll focus on different girls as Bunny Damn, they should have made does. that a valentine's day release so we could see it together we can see it together in march it's fine we didn't do anything for valentine's day I'm no sad. we were going to fault. and I you know. bailed i know i know i understand 
I understand it's my fault. I don't want to be like this. Thank you, though. You're welcome. Okay, we also got a first trailer for a series called Wistoria Wanted Sword, directed by Tatsuya Yoshihara, who's done a lot of directing for Black Clover. It's being done at Actas and Bandai Namco Pictures with music from Yuki Hayashi, which I'm really, really excited for. It premieres this July. So looking forward to that. I think I could be wrong, so someone should fact check this, but this also became news because Yoshihara was potentially one of the directors that people were looking to potentially take over Chainsaw Man. And now that he's working on something else, clearly this is premiering in July, he's probably not doing the Chainsaw Man movie and we still haven't gotten staff information for that. So this trailer actually looks good. I'm actually quite excited for this. I don't really remember if it's fantasy or isekai, but it looks fun. It looks good. I'll probably check it out when it airs this summer, but still a big question mark on who's actually going to be doing Chainsaw Man. I swear to God. It's going to be Gosso. If they somehow force Gosso to do it. I knew you were going to say this. I will actually be upset. That is not enough time for him to go straight from JJK to this. Like, my guy is going to fucking burn out so quick. Even though him working on Chainsaw Man would genuinely be amazing. We both love his direction, but he should not be working on that. So I'm going to be interested to see what the staff looks like for that. I mean, I don't necessarily have an opinion. If he wants to work on it, if he wants a job and more money, like, that's up to him. He might be really excited to work on Chainsaw Man. I don't know. I am not as in tune with the directorial things as you are. I'm still excited to get Chainsaw Man as a movie. I think that production will be amazing. I don't really know what to say about this other production. I'm excited that you're willing to watch more isekai if you have directors that you like working on them. I think it's an isekai. But it could also Fuck just be yeah. a fantasy. Either way, I'll watch it. It looks decent. Fuck <laughs> yes. Man will watch anything to simp out here. True. <laughs> so true. I'm literally watching One Piece. A thousand episodes of One Piece just to simp a little bit. <laughs> We're going to save that for later. Okay. We also got the official announcement now that Funimation is shutting down on April 2nd. This is kind of interesting because... They still haven't ported everything over to Crunchyroll, even though this so official shutdown is happening soon. Also, people were fairly upset, and very rightfully so, because I think media that people had bought and downloaded or whatever on Funimation is not going to be honored by Crunchyroll. So you're just losing media that you've paid for outside of the streaming, like stuff that you've actually paid to keep as part of a collection. So that is also not a great look. Everything with this merge has just kind of been infuriating and showing how monopolies are probably not the best for us as consumers, but it's just happening and ripped to Funimation, I guess. It's really stupid. They could have planned this so much better. I just recently had to scan a fucking QR code to port over my history from Funimation, and I'm like, why the fuck does this even matter? You don't have half of the shit that I was watching on Funimation on Crunchyroll. And some of the stuff that they do have why did you not merge the two adaptations? Like, for example, the Monogatari adaptation that you were talking about last time, they don't have the full version on Crunchyroll, but they did on Funimation. If you own the licenses for both, just merge them. What the fuck is going on? I assume the license part of it is more complicated than we know as consumers, but if still... If you bought the company, you should port the licenses. Like, I don't understand how that's not... And especially if you promise that that's what you're going to do, yeah. right? Like, they bought Funimation, Sony did, said everything is going to Crunchyroll, we're going to put it all in one place and promise that out of the gate, and they're not delivering on it, which is fucking annoying, but, like, there's nothing you can really do about it, which yeah, fucking sucks, but that's how it is. 
We also got an announcement that Bones 25 Dreaming Forward is a four-part documentary series on Bones, the studio, that actually came out a little bit before we are releasing and recording this episode on February 13th. And I've actually seen a few clips from this and people seem to be really enjoying it. It seems like a pretty in-depth look at a lot of stuff that the studio has made. They got a lot of really cool directors and people to come in and give interviews. I've seen some really funny quotes from Watanabe, for example. So if you're interested in Bones as a studio or just anime production in general, that I think is on Crunchyroll and you can just go watch it right now. And I've heard pretty good things about the documentary. So I'll probably try to check that out when I have a little bit of time. Yeah, I haven't heard about this, actually, and I really like Studio Bones, so I will definitely go check that out. I think it's always cool to see these behind the scenes into a studio, because I still, after having now been in the space for a few years now and have seen a good number of videos and other content about studios, still don't know how it fully works. And I know there are some things that we'll probably never get good insight into because they're industry secrets, but it's really cool to go and watch these. I mean, this is why I love shows like... Azekin. Oh, my brain. Yeah, Azekin <laughs> so much because we do get more insight into how animation is actually created. And so these documentaries are very fruitful for us in our knowledge, but also just for the community in general. Yeah, I'm excited for you to watch Shirobako as well because it gives a pretty realistic view at that yeah. side of things as well. Okay, last two pieces of news. We got an announcement, I think also very surprisingly, that the mangaka for Kimi ni Tadoke, Kara Hoshina, is starting a new manga series on March 13th. They haven't written anything, as far as I know, since Kimi ni Tadoke, so I think it's a big win for a shoujo mangaka that people really like to be back and now releasing something new. So people in the manga space that I know seem to be really excited about this, so that was great to hear. I have no idea what the series is about, but I presume I will hear something in a month when it actually starts serializing. And then we got a teaser for a new movie releasing June 28th, which is actually Look Back, the Fujimoto one-shot that we've already analyzed on this podcast. And amazingly, MAPPA did not get it. <laughs> it's being directed by Kiyotaka Oshiyami, who directed Flip Flappers, did episode direction for Devilman Crybaby, Space Dandy, a bunch of other series. He has his own studio, Studio Dorian, and this is coming out fairly soon in the summer. So they clearly have had some time to work on this already. The short little preview trailer that they showed, I thought looked really good and promising. So I'm excited to see how that turns out. I think we both really liked Fujimoto's one shots. And for me, especially those two look back and goodbye Ari were kind of a catalyst along with Chainsaw Man and getting me into reading more manga. So I'm excited to see it animated. Yeah, one of the few manga I've ever read. I'm really interested to see what the production is going to be, what the actual product we're going to get is, considering that it's such a short, self-contained story. There's not much to actually tell. I mean, there's a lot to analyze within the one-shot, but the story is very self-contained. And Fujimoto is a very abstract writer, there's a lot of themes, even within such a short space. So I do wonder, is it going to be a movie? Is it going to be a few episode series? I'm not sure. I think it's confirmed for a movie. Oh, is it confirmed for a movie? I think so. Interesting. But it will be interesting, I think, to see, because that one shot is such a quick read. So I'm interested to see what parts of it they choose to flesh out, how they recreate some of the iconic manga panels. Fujimoto is really, really good at using the actual medium itself. So I'm curious to see how some of those things translate. But... We'll find out pretty soon. That's not that far away. That's it? That's it. 
How do you only have so little this time? Still like 15 minutes. <laughs> so on today's episode, we're back to discuss our first impressions on the winter 2024 anime season. We'll be talking about our expectations for and thoughts on the season as a whole, highlighting some of the incredibly touching and imaginative works that are currently airing, and speculating on where others may have missed the mark. So let's get into it. So, Yanni, how have you been enjoying One Piece so far? Yeah, I've actually really been enjoying One Piece. Yes, <laughs> fuck yes. Yeah, so I, if you haven't listened to some recent episodes, we've talked a lot about me finally starting to watch One Piece because Ravi bothering me about it for the past few years. It's not me. You didn't listen to me. You just fucking heard about all the shit about Wano and all the suck go within it. And you're like, man, I got to start watching a thousand episodes so I can fucking suck some director's dick 10 years down the line. I was going to say, you bothering me about it in conjunction with that has gotten me to actually somehow commit to watching this a thousand plus episode series. We'll see how that goes. I think if some of the arcs end up dragging, I might switch to the manga for that specific arc but so far i'm 21 episodes or so into it in the middle of barati and i've been having a lot Baratier, of fun with it. fool is it really baratier of course it's baratier it's french because it's french <laughs> why do people really say that that sounds so fucking weird <laughs> what i'm gonna go with barati that sounds better to me <laughs> <laughs> not baratier <laughs> oh my god <laughs> Clearly, I don't speak any fucking French, but yeah, I've been enjoying it a lot. Obviously, early One Piece has, even for me, who owned actually a few of the early manga volumes, but hasn't watched, maybe I've caught some random episodes at some point, but hasn't really watched any, does have this nice kind of retro nostalgic feel to it, given that it's something that came out in 1999. So that's been fun to watch, and I'm excited to see how it keeps going. So far, smooth sailing. No pun intended. You just fucking assassinated <laughs> all of like the middle-aged anime viewers by calling One Piece retro. So 1999 is 1999, bro. We retro. were alive. <laughs> yeah, we were alive, but I was like fucking four. I was not watching One Piece. I <laughs> God damn. Anyway, though, some more specific questions. So you've seen a good amount of the early crew at this point. You've seen a few arcs already. What arc so far have you really enjoyed? What do you think about the production value? The production is like pretty solid like i would say it's nothing standout i think the mm -hmm. fact that it feels older is actually kind of nice and endearing to watch it feels like you're going back in time and watching cartoons and i mean that in a very positive way so i've been enjoying that part of it obviously there's no like 1999 fucking sakuga out here but that's fine i've been hey 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 <laughs> you gotta put it in context for i've been very much enjoying that part of the watch I feel like the pacing has been solid. I know people always complain about One Piece pacing, but that is, I think, an issue much later in the series. So, so far, I it's wanted been to totally talk to you okay. about that because people complain about the early part of One Piece as the pacing because they feel like it's slow. There's not that much action happening. The first few arcs are relatively self contained. I really think the first arc that I remember is. Usopp, the Syrup Village arc, because there is a point before where Luffy meets Zoro very quickly. He meets Kobe really quickly. They break into the marine base and rescue Zoro. All of that feels kind of amorphous for me. And then yeah. we have like the dedicated Syrup Village arc with Usopp's story. And then now you're getting to Baratier. 
And I think that's why people early on are like, it's kind of like nebulous, the beginning of One Piece. And then finally, we'll get to like more structured arcs later on. Yeah, I mean, I do think it is pretty meandering. And I can understand why for some people that's like, okay, can we get to something a little bit more structured? I've just been enjoying it because again- I also enjoyed it. So I'm glad that you were. Throwing on episodes, I already like Slice of Life, people hanging out and all of these characters are so iconic. So actually seeing them interact and- Watching them join the crew, join the Straw Hats for the first time for me has been really fun to watch. So I'm so happy right now. I'm just enjoying the meandering pace of it. Obviously, I think I will enjoy it probably more when I get to like even Arlong Park or Alabasta and things are a little bit more structured, as you're saying. And all of these high points of very early One Piece, I'm sure will be amazing. But I've had a lot of fun with it so far. No complaints. I will say I enjoyed the beginning. I enjoyed it a lot more once the crew dynamics are more set and right now again they only have like two or three members of the crew three now that Usopp joined and then Nami is there now too right yeah and so there will be more characters added and watching their dynamics is one of my favorite parts of the show important question what do you think of the opening I like the opening you like the opening? Yeah, why it's would I not so like the iconic. <laughs> it's so iconic, dude. Every it time is. I hear the first like two seconds, those notes that play, the narrator's voice comes on and talks about <laughs> the age of the pirates. Is yeah. like it's so iconic. It's great. I'm excited for you to experience the other openings and endings because I remember Alabasta had my absolute favorite ending, and then some of the best openings are coming up. I'm so excited for you to experience this. Well, I will be here for the next year keeping you updated. I am interested to see. So far, I've been on a pretty good pace. I'm interested to see how long that goes for. And more importantly, many months down the line, once I get to around the point that you're at, are you going to start watching? (laughs) I do not know. One Piece (laughs) is one of those things where I could pick up because... As you've probably noticed, it's easy watching. Like, it's relatively brainless. There's not a lot to analyze going on. Everything is very upfront. And that's a good thing. I think that's one of the reasons One Piece is so popular. It will start getting more layered once you start meeting more characters. Yeah. And then you get to hypothesize about what will happen. We were literally just talking about this yesterday where I was frustrated that you already know so much about the show. You already know members of the crew that aren't there yet, which for me is spoilers because there's a lot that happens before then. I don't even feel like I do other than like Robin and Chopper. I, like, I don't actually know who else is part of the crew. All right, well, I'm sure good. when I see them, it will maybe become visually apparent because I've seen you know random openings and other things, but I don't actually feel like I'm working with that much knowledge. Oh, we we'll watched see. the full fucking movie, dude. Yeah, we did. <laughs> I don't remember that. <laughs> I remember watching Film Red, and I also actually watched the Baron Amatsuri movie, which I also really enjoyed. But yeah, I don't really remember <laughs> other crew members, to be honest. It's one of those things where it's like you probably hear a spoiler, but if you haven't seen any of the series, Context, you, it just yeah. like exits your brain. <laughs> right? I agree with you. I am excited for you to experience it. I want you to experience it kind of like I did with no context going in because I feel like that was really fun. It's really fun to be like, oh shit, like I didn't expect this character to move in this way or like this event to happen. And those are the best parts of One Piece because the world is so big. There's so many characters. There's so many character dynamics at play. And even though, again, the plot is relatively superficial and the themes are like very apparent, I think those things work in One Piece's favor because you get to enjoy so many other things. For sure. I'll be here updating how the progress is going and 
at some point we'll start doing some One Piece episodes down the line. We'll see how that yeah. goes. Yeah. But in lieu of making this a One Piece episode, we should probably talk about the actual season. I'm having anime. fun talking about One Piece, man. <laughs> we could talk about it as much as you want offline and in another episode. <laughs> All right, so if you haven't been with us for a seasonal episode, we usually start by giving our thoughts on the season overall. We quickly recap any continuing series that we have already talked about in previous First Impressions episodes, and then we'll go through all the series that we've actually had time to check out the first few episodes for. We'll do them in order that they're listed on Mal by the popularity charts. You can follow along if you'd like to. And then at the end, we'll sort of recap some of the shows that we didn't get a chance to check out, but that we have heard something about that we know people are watching and potentially enjoying. All right. Thoughts on the season overall? Give it to me. I think after, and I said this in our last episode too, so I wonder how many times I'm going to say this, but I think after the last year of anime or the last few seasons of anime, my expectations for an anime season nowadays are so high. And I think that's a problem. I am actively trying to sit down and watch a show and not have to contextualize it within the framework of all of the other seasons coming out right now. And I think that's just so hard to do. I think because we've had some incredible productions in past seasons, some of the best shows I have ever seen, coming and watching this season has been a bit of a letdown. I don't know if you agree. It just doesn't feel like this season has those memorable, punchy shows that we've seen in previous seasons. And things that I was really excited for, which we'll talk about, things like solo leveling, haven't hit me in the way that I was hoping. And maybe it's just me. Maybe this is something about the mood I'm in right now. But nothing this season has really stuck out to me in terms of stuff that is starting this season. Of course, Freerun is still amazing. I still love Apothecary Diaries. That might be one of my top few shows ever. But some of the other things coming on this season haven't really stuck out to me, unfortunately. There may be some exceptions, things like Dungeon Meshi and some other shows we'll talk about. But aside from those, this season has fallen below my expectations. Yeah, I pretty much agree. I think the fact that we have Freerun and Apothecary Diaries, which are two of both of our favorite anime of 2023, the fact that those are continuing into the season just means that this season by default can't be bad because we're still watching those. But if we're looking at stuff that's new outside of those two, I have to say I've enjoyed the ones I'm keeping up with. It's not that everything has been bad. In fact, most of them have been pretty fun to watch overall. But the season definitely doesn't stand up to some of the best ones that we've seen in recent years. Winter sometimes does that. I will say, though, that it does tend to be slow. Like last year, we had Vinland Saga, which was amazing. Trigun Stampede, which was good as well. And everything else was horrific. So winter (laughs) sometimes just kind of starts the year off slow. I don't really know why that is. So I think even having a limited number of shows that are solid and enjoyable maybe is a win in the context of winter seasons in general. But... Yeah, I pretty much have the exact same take as you. Mm -hmm. All right, so really quickly, the continuing series that we're not going to talk that much about because we've talked about them so much already. We have Freerun being done at Madhouse, Apothecary Diaries being done at OLM and Toho Animation Studio, and of course, Undead Unluck being done at David Production, which I am still somehow keeping up with. (laughs) Don't say it too loudly. (laughs) There is, I don't think, that much for us to add about these 
three series. Two of them are amazing. One of them is, you know, it is what it is. <laughs> you won't wow. say that much else. Is there anything you wanted to add about them? I mean, we've talked about, especially the first two, so much from First Impressions and in our Year in Review Awards episode. So if you're curious what we think about them, you can go back to those episodes. But I personally don't have that much to add. I'm enjoying those two just as much as I was a few weeks ago. Yeah, I have only watched a couple episodes now into the second chorus or both of them. And for me, they're continuing just as well as I had left them off. I think that, again, I said it before and I'll say it again, Freerun is one of the best shows I have seen in recent memory. And so is Apothecary Diaries. They were neck and neck for my Anime of the Year awards when we talked about that. And once they're finished, if all goes well, because I'm not going to make the same mistake you did for Bochi or fucking Bochi for fucking uh, what was it? Ranking of Kings, where I'm going to wait to give my final opinions. But I do not know. And I really hope this doesn't happen. But I think these shows will live on for me. But some of the most memorable shows I've seen, they do so many things incredibly well. That being said, I do know some people are a bit frustrated with Freerun right now. I personally have really kept on enjoying it. I don't know how you feel about it or want to talk about that at all. I mean, I love it. We talked about it in our year in review where we really enjoy the fact that Freerun mixes in all of this slice of life, journey, emotional moments with some of the more kind of shown in battle stuff that the anime adaptation specifically does an amazing job of fleshing out. I've seen some takes around that people think that the slice of life stuff is so much better than the other stuff. I personally don't agree. Like I generally tend to gravitate more towards that. And I think that is probably the most compelling part of Freerun, but watching the way in which Saito and the rest of the team have done so much justice and elevated really all of the action from the manga has made that just a real treat to watch as well. So I personally still really enjoy it. I know there are also a lot of people that are enjoying it, but for some people, just the shonen aspects are not for them, but you know, it is serializing in a shonen magazine. So I don't know what you were expecting. And I do think if it just went slice of life for the entire run, there is a chance some people would get bored of it. So I personally enjoy the change of pace. What about Undead Unluck? There was actually a pretty interesting plot development recently. (laughs) Is it worth watching the whole thing? No. And specifically, it's caught a lot of (laughs) flack lately because they've been padding out the episodes with quite a bit of recap and stuff like that, which is not what you want to see in a seasonal. You're telling me it's not the best thing to ever air? (laughs) And I think that's probably because they have a certain endpoint for the second core that they want to stop at. So they're really trying to gauge stuff with how those arcs are set up. So... Yeah, I don't think that plot development is really worth watching the entire thing. And I still don't think it's very good. But, you know, maybe that's just me. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Anywho. All right. Our first series of this episode that we're actually going to talk about. I don't know why it took such a long pause there (laughs) is solo leveling, which I have no interest in watching, but I want you to tell me about. (laughs) You haven't seen it yet? No. <laughs> Are you serious? Yeah, 100%. Serious. I fully expected to have a discussion with you about it here. Why? God damn it. What do you mean? It's like the most popular thing airing this season. I told you the By series far. I was watching. I'll justify my decision to have no interest in this, but tell me about it first. God damn it, bro. If fucking Gosso is <laughs> directing this, you'd be fucking eating that shit up. <laughs> Would I be? Yes. So it's only recently that you watched the first anime that you had previously read the source material for, and that was Freerun. And when we were discussing Freerun in our fall 2023 first impressions episode, 
And also just now, you made it a point to mention how special a series it was for you, considering that you got to experience for the first time the high of having a series that you really enjoyed getting an anime adaptation. And not just that, it was an incredible anime adaptation. Now, with solo leveling airing, I want to say that I completely understand what you mean, but it's been a bit of a mixed bag for me. Solo leveling, if you remember, is the first work that I read a few years ago after I got sucked into Horimiya and started to look up some source material. And that's how I found out about Manwa. Unlike manga, which are Japanese comics, Manwa are Korean comics. They have their own history and style and characteristics that separate them from manga to the point that I think it would be a really interesting episode to discuss the similarities and differences between manga, Korean manhwa, and their Chinese counterpart, also known as manhwa, just spelled differently. Hope you're writing this shit down, bro. I'm just throwing out fucking notes. fire episode <laughs> ideas out here. But at first glance, the easiest way to distinguish between manga and manhwa is that manhwa are generally in color, and nowadays they're frequently available in webteen format. What that means is online, if you go to read a manhwa, you'll often find it on a site with other webtoons where you can scroll vertically throughout much of the series, as opposed to manga where you're flipping page by page, even if it's an online reader. Made for the digital age, baby. <laughs> I know, bro. Have you read any manhwa or just seen any manhwa? I mean, I've seen quite a bit. I've seen panels from Solo Leveling and from other yeah. series, but I haven't actually read any myself. Okay. I don't, again, think that the stories are intrinsically different, but the art style for me is extremely appealing. I love the color within it. I think that, I don't want to say elevates because it doesn't necessarily, the art in and of itself intrinsically isn't better or worse, but I think the color adds so much to the actual visual experience of reading Manwa. That's why I really happen to enjoy it. By far, the most well-known manhwa, at least internationally, is a series that only started serializing as a webtoon in 2018. And that's crazy. That was only like five or six years ago. But that was Solo Leveling. Solo Leveling tells the story of an alternate Korea. Ten years ago, a mysterious gate appeared that connected our world with the realms of fantasy. It brought forth the world of magic and monsters into our own, presenting one of the greatest trials that humanity has ever faced. To give them a means of fighting, humanity is also blessed with warriors known as the Hunters. These Hunters were ordinary people that gained superhuman powers, but these powers were not distributed equally. Therefore, Hunters are classified according to their strength, from rank S being the strongest to rank E being the weakest. In this world, we follow Sung Jin-woo, a 20-year-old given the strength to be a hunter, but just barely. Jin-woo is known among the hunters as the, quote, world's weakest, because he's barely strong enough to fight even E-rank monsters. However, Jin-woo continues to fight to support his family, to pay for his sister's schooling and his mother's medical bills. One day, while raiding a low-level dungeon, Jin-woo and his party find a dangerous secret within. That secret leads to the death of much of his party and leaves him clinging to life alone, facing down an insurmountable enemy. But just before he dies, he's given another chance at life by a screen that pops up in front of him asking if he wishes to accept a new quest. And he does. This decision grants him a new power. Unlike other hunters whose powers and rank are fixed, he gains the ability to level up. And this starts him on the path to becoming the world's strongest hunter. 
I do think there's a reason you're not watching this. <laughs> what do you think the reason is? <laughs> I'm going to explain that shortly. <laughs> okay. I mentioned that solo leveling is one of, if not the most popular manhwa ever. Why is that? Having watched the anime adaptation now, I was going to say you can see, but I guess <laughs> I can see that these reasons are similar to those that have made Isekai so popular. Solo leveling has a straightforward plot of a weak character who works hard and has to overcome adversity to gain power. And once he does, his power is overwhelming. It is a classic self-insert plot that is bolstered by beautiful art. The manhwa looks absolutely amazing. I know you said you've seen some panels. I highly encourage you just to go read the first chapter of this. It is not hard to read. It's a simple plot with beautiful art. The color, the character designs, the facial expressions, the monsters, everything looks incredible. And I think a part of that has made its way into the anime as well. The art within the anime is pretty faithful to the original manhwa. The colors are still vivid. The character designs look great. And the aspects of animation that elevate it from the source material, for example, like the voice acting, are done super well. Also, if you didn't realize it, in the first 30 seconds into the opening theme, the music is being done by Hiroyuki Sawano, and I have never had a bad thing to say about a Sawano soundtrack other than their very distinctly him in their intensity and their composition. Now, where solo leveling falls short for me is unfortunately in its pacing and its originality, especially given that we're now in the space of anime. Given the popularity of Isekai, solo leveling has yet to stand out to me from the plethora of other shows with similar premises within anime. And I understand that some listeners may not accept that as a valid criticism, and I usually don't either. Because I think you should be able to evaluate a show based on its own merits. But despite that, those shows that I really enjoy, the 9s and 10s for me on Mal, like we just talked about with Vinland Saga are the ones that contribute something new and original to the anthology. They're memorable. And solo leveling, even despite its art and its story and its sound, has not done that for me yet. The other more concrete criticism I have of the adaptation is the directorial choice to include a lot of the monologuing and the exposition that was in the manhwa. That was there for the reader. That's so that the reader can get insight into what the characters are doing. But one of my favorite aspects of animation is that you have the opportunity to show through motion things that may have needed exposition in the static medium of manga. But solo leveling, in the way that it faithfully recreates the manhwa, spends a lot of time explaining to the viewer unnecessary details of the power system and verbalizing what's in Jin Wu's mind. I wish you had seen like the fourth or fifth episode that's out right now. Oh, you watched five episodes? Damn. <laughs> I mean, yeah, we were breezing through these. But there's a scene where he's literally about to face down enemies and is sitting there talking about the power system and like how he's ranking up and his item storage and the screens around him. It's just unnecessary. And this is like the epitome of show don't tell for me. I have never taken one side on that debate, but I think here it would have been much more effective to just illustrate what's going on rather than have to explain everything that's happening. And a lot of time explaining to the viewer unnecessary details it just destroys the pacing for me. And that's another thing that I want to critique here. I would have really appreciated 
had the director chosen to show, not tell, because it just bogs down what the show could have been. Overall, I still think it's a good show. I was really excited to come into this for the same reasons that you were excited to come into Freerun, to come in and be like, something that I have actually read is now getting an adaptation. And I was super excited about that. Unfortunately, Solo Loving has just not stood out to me in the plethora of other isekai in the way that I had hoped. Wow, you're finally, and maybe for the only time, a source material reader. (laughs) That's not true. Once Look Back comes out. Oh, yeah, that's actually real. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't have anything to say about solo leveling. It just sounded completely unappealing in every single way to me. Wow, how fucking dare you? (laughs) And it's not just because you were saying it's isekai adjacent. I have just heard it described as a very, very standard meathead power fantasy where the story, the character development, et cetera, are not really that special or that great, which sounds pretty much like what you were saying. And I've heard the art from the source material is absolutely amazing. And from the stuff that I've actually seen from it, it does look genuinely incredible. Yeah. So people always said that it was carried by its drawings. And it sounds like at least some of that has come into the anime adaptation. Some cuts that I've seen have generally looked nice. The fights have looked pretty good. So... It seems like, okay, you're never going to recreate how good the source material art is. It's a completely different medium. It's static, as you're saying. But it's nice to see that at least in some of the dynamic aspects, they've done a service to the original source in some way. But I'm just not interested (laughs) in a pretty standard power fantasy. And, you know, you joked about if Gossa was directing it. Yeah, if you had an amazing director trying to do some interesting things, that might entice me to check it out. But it is from just what I've heard so far removed from my taste that I felt nothing when thinking if I should watch it or not, which meant that I should just make more time to watch One Piece instead. I think that's fair. It is just frustrating to me. And this is partly my own ignorance of the Manwa space and how big Isekai is within that space. I don't know. But I think that it would be interesting to actually do an analysis of why solo leveling got so popular. Again, there's a reason Isekai got super popular because it is self-insert and people like to see themselves in that role of an overpowered male protagonist. But why it was ported over to the anime space and now it's the most popular thing airing this season, that is a little frustrating to me. I am the last person to be like, you shouldn't go watch an isekai. I fucking love isekai. Like, I still think it's my favorite genre within anime for all of those things that I said. Like, I fucking love the self-insert stuff. But would I rate it the best thing coming out this season? Not by a mile. And I don't know whether if it's because isekai is not as popular within Manwa, which is why it got so popular within the space, or... What happened that solo leveling is just the defining face of Manwa nowadays? But the anime adaptation has just not done its service. I don't think it's up to the par that we had seen within the original Manwa. And that feels sad to say for me. And I don't know if I'll be saying that in the future because I think the other things I've read are probably amazing until maybe I finish Berserk and then I go watch the 2017 adaptation. I mean, there are just some things... And this is probably a completely separate discussion to have, but I'll just make a quick point about it. There are just some manga, manhwa, whatever source material that are really, really difficult to adapt because of the art style. Something like Berserk, the 
original 1990s one people tended to generally like, but a lot of the Berserk adaptations otherwise have not been super well received. And you're never going to be able to replicate Mira's art in animation. You're just not going to be able to. So it requires that the adaptation offers something different and something that is maybe simplifying the art, but giving you a lot of other really yeah. interesting creative choices. And it sounds like for solo leveling, it hasn't quite done enough of that kind of elevating other parts of it very strongly to justify losing the really amazing art from the source material, which you're inevitably going to lose, right? This is the first time that I've ever experienced the debate of do we keep it faithful to the original source material or do we do something interesting with it? And I know there are people on both sides of that that are like, oh, you took some aspect of the source material I liked and changed it and that's why I hate it. And there are many other people that are like, yeah, but that's what the readaptation in a different form is supposed to do. This is the first time I've been a part of that debate because it's the first time I've seen something I've read actually adapted. And I am leaning on the side of the adaptation should have done something more interesting to separate it. I don't know if that's true for everything, and it will probably not be true if I end up reading stuff in the future, but I don't know if you have an opinion on that. You saw Chainsaw Man, and you felt like the anime adaptation elevated it in certain ways, but it also fell behind in others. Yeah, I think it's totally case-by-case case basis. For Chainsaw Man, I think I appreciate that they went with a strong identity, but still felt like some of the spirit of the source material wasn't quite captured in a way that I think a lot of other big Chainsaw Man fans also didn't quite like. But something like Freerin, for example, has been elevated in pretty much every way where they've really built off of some of the paneling and the action in the manga that is pretty simplistic and like really, really extended stuff. So I think it totally depends on what the source material is. And obviously there are some things intrinsic to the source that you don't want to change pretty much ever that are core to the story. But I think overall, I tend to lean more towards it is an adaptation. You have to make choices when you're adapting something always. So you might as well make those choices interesting and worth watching and worth yeah. experiencing. And obviously, if you're going to take it and transform a story that people love into something totally different, that's not great. But I think creative choices are always being made. So you may as well try to make them in interesting and positive ways. It's a risk. It's a risk. And I see why yeah. they didn't do it for solo leveling, but I feel like it was a missed opportunity. And again, when I say it's a risk, what I mean is that if you have source material that people already love, I can see why as an industry, you want to just keep it faithful and not fuck something up that the community is going to get mad about. But I think here, like I said, it's a missed opportunity. They could have done a lot more. Yeah. I'm probably never going to watch this, but I am interested Come to see. Come on. <laughs> Are you going to finish it? Yeah, Sounds like course. you're going to finish it. <laughs> of course. I mean, so that's good enough. Even if I hadn't read the source material, bro, it's a fucking isekai. Yeah, true. And I mean, it sounds like, again, even if you're not super happy with it, it's probably enjoyable enough of like a turn your brain off watch that you're going to do it. Yeah. All right. Anything else about solo leveling? No. Okay. You should go read some of the manhwa. The art looks amazing. Yeah, I will actually look up a little bit more of the art than what I've seen already. I think, And it's brutal. Like, thing. that's one of the best parts about it. I think this is why JJK got so popular is because it's brutal and it's dark. And, like, some of the panels do that and show that brutality to you. And I think for, you know, a lot of the medium kind of steps away. It shies away from showing that. And solo leveling does not. Solo leveling. Uncensored. <laughs> I mean, that would just be fucking tits out, so... <laughs> All right, I'm moving on. <laughs> the next series we're going to talk about is Dungeon Meshi being done by Trigger. So what is Dungeon Meshi about? 
Adventuring knight Laios leads a small party through a seemingly endless dungeon full of dangerous monsters and traps. Through the use of magic, explorers in this world can be resurrected, allowing them to learn from past mistakes and once again traverse the same dungeon. When a powerful dragon eats Laios's sister Fallen, she casts a spell to send her brother and the rest of the party back to the beginning of the dungeon to save them. Strapped for cash and for equipment, Laios plans to fight his way through the dungeon again and rescue his sister before she can be fully digested by the dragon and is joined by the elf mage Marcel and the halfling locksmith Chilchuk. Unfortunately, the rest of his party says, I'm not fucking doing that again. (laughs) (laughs) Soon they meet Senshi, a dwarf warrior with a penchant for safely cooking and eating monsters. Together, the four companions struggle through the dungeon on their quest while learning about gourmet dining. You're explaining this to me in the same tone you'd be talking about like Eurocamp, <laughs> and I'm like, this isn't Eurocamp out here, bro. It's not that far from it's it. It's not that far. <laughs> Let me ask you two questions. First, okay. if you get resurrected, why the fuck do they care? I was wondering this as I was typing this. I was like, wait a minute. But I'm pretty sure, and they showed this in a later episode, I'm pretty sure someone needs to resurrect you. And so I think if she just gets fully digested and turned into fucking dragon poop, then they're just never getting her back. Hmm. Whereas if they can kill the dragon and her body is still somewhat intact, then they can resurrect her. I see. That's my understanding. (laughs) I was like, maybe this is going to get dark. Like maybe there's like something they lose when they get resurrected. I don't know. But the second question are we calling this Delicious in Dungeon or Dungeon Meshy? Did you see all the discourse about this? <laughs> yes. So what are we doing? <laughs> I mean, you can call it whatever you want. I'm going to call it Dungeon Meshy and not because I'm some fucking weeb Japanese purist. <laughs> Just some titles sound better in the localized <laughs> version. Some titles sound better to me in the Japanese translation. And I think that's fine. Delicious in Dungeon just is a fucking mouthful. I don't think it sounds that great to say. Dungeon Meshi is way easier. It's like fucking, I'm not calling it Sorcery Fight. I'm not. <laughs> it's Jujutsu Kaisen. And you know, that's okay. I don't have a strong opinion one way or the other about if something should be said in which translation, but I like Dungeon I Meshi. I thought it better. would just ruin your pattern of always trying to do the <laughs> English title. So. No, I strangely don't have a pattern for this. It just depends. Okay. <laughs> Like, I'm not calling it laid-back camp. It's Eurocamp. I'm sorry. <laughs> I know you give special preference to some shows. I've just never understood the rule that you have in your mind for this. It's a vibes rule. <laughs> okay. All right. Perfect. No rules. <laughs> no rules. Do you prefer one? <laughs> no, I usually just go with other ones more popular that I hear more often. In this case, it's Dungeon Meshi. For some reason, unless I just can't say the Japanese name, I will usually go by that. That seems to be the general trend among most people. I mean, again, Jujutsu Kaisen, like, it's just so prevalent right now. I don't know what the names are for a sign of affection, but I know when I tried to find that, it was like 20 fucking characters long, and I couldn't do it. So that's a me problem, I understand. I will say, if we're talking about localized titles already, a sign of affection is an amazing localization. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) It's really, really good. All right, so... What do I want to say about Dungeon Meshi? I think between this, Freerun, the upcoming Witch Hat Atelier adaptation, and the continuation of Maiden Abyss, it does kind of feel, at least to me, like we're entering what is this mini sort of golden age for more classic fantasy in anime and manga. Isekai. Specifically, it's not Isekai, <laughs> and those will continue, but I think it is alongside that nice to see 
different series return to the original tropes of the genre and use different creative twists to keep those tropes and those ideas refreshing. In Freer, and we talked a lot about it already, but it's the pensive pace of the series with Freer and learning how to connect with others and navigate the passage of time. And in Dungeon Meshi, it is all about the cooking. I think what's really amazing about Dungeon Meshi is that it takes the dungeon that the characters explore and turns it into this full living and breathing ecosystem using the meals that the group makes in order to give us information about how the world works. I feel like I've come out of almost every episode immediately thinking, wow, that little piece of world building was so cleverly explained and implemented. And just one example that I think is genius. I don't know if you've watched up through four episodes, so potentially a small spoiler, but it doesn't really matter. In episode four, these treasure bugs are introduced, which are insects that disguise themselves as coins or other treasure in order to lure and kill adventurers. Okay, that's cool and nice as is, but in the very next episode, the group discovers a mimic and it's revealed that the treasure bugs actually infest the mimics undetected, lay eggs in the mimic to kill it, and that becomes a full chest of treasure that then tricks adventurers into taking the treasure and being killed. That is such a brilliant way to take classic ideas and fantasy and tie them together in a completely novel way. And stuff like that, I feel like, happens every episode on top of each of these little bits being tied to some dish and somehow being edible in a way that you probably wouldn't think of. It's fucking Willy Wonka, bro. <laughs> Basically. It's just straight up Willy Wonka <laughs> in a dungeon. It's great. Aside from that, I know people love the manga and as expected, Trigger is in my opinion, knocking it out of the park with the adaptation. I think for many people, this might seem like an odd choice of project for them, given that they tend to do more bombastic work in general, but it does fall in line with some more of the subdued projects that they've done, like Little Witch Academia. Aside from the production, I also have to shout out the characters because they have such a fun and natural dynamic between them, whether it's Lyos just being his fucking weird-ass self, fantasizing about eating different monsters, or Marcel conveying the entire spectrum from disgust to delight at every single fucking dish. There's so much just natural comedy in their interactions that makes every episode genuinely fly by. Of the non-continuing series, I think this is easily my personal favorite of the season. I hope you're enjoying it because it seems like the fantasy and the cooking should be 100% up your alley. I am even surprised that you thought I wouldn't be enjoying that. No, no, I think you would. <laughs> I'm just trying to confirm here. <laughs> You're like scared. Like I'm looking at the fucking fear in your <laughs> eyes right now. I think what you said about Dungeon Meshi as the epitome of fantasy in the way that it's able to build on previous aspects of fantasy and create its own world isn't distinct to Dungeon Meshi. I think that this is the reason that I love fantasy overall. Because every single fantasy, regardless of what you're reading, is creating something new. It's creating new worlds and adventures based on a series of founding tropes that are then elevated within the show. And that's why I love this genre. And Dungeon Meshi, again, does that, and it does that spectacularly. It is an incredibly appealing show with an original premise and great production value by Trigger. We both love Trigger, and as you said, I think they hit it out of the park here. My favorite parts, the backgrounds and the world building just inspire this wonderful sense of adventure, and the monster and level designs are so imaginative. We talked 
a lot about this when we talked about Maiden Abyss. We talked so much about how every single level you go down is something new and imaginative, something that no one else has ever thought of before that is just filled with interesting flora and fauna, with monsters that you just would never have even thought to imagine. And I appreciate how much Dungeon Meshi has done that. Like I said, it reminds me of Maiden Abyss in the adventuring, but it could not be more different in its tone. You watch Maiden Abyss to have your emotions blindsided every other episode. You watch Dungeon Meshi to relax and unwind after a long day, to get inspired to cook new food, while trying not to think too hard about what the fuck they're actually eating. <laughs> yeah. And I think, as you said, also, the comedy within the show is just absolute gold. That is by far why Marcel is my favorite character. I love Marcel. Her facial so much. expressions <laughs> are literally gold within the show. They absolutely make it worth it for me just to watch her facial expressions, which I am They're on so the good. floor every single episode dying at. So, yeah, I've been having a great time watching Dungeon Meshi. It's one of those shows that I don't need to watch in continuity. I think we're watching an episode like every few days. We literally took a break to watch all of Vinland Saga between the third and fourth episode. So I haven't seen the fourth episode yet. But to be sure, I will continue watching this. It's a great series. I want to get your opinion on the opening. Uh, I wish it stood out to me more. I don't remember the opening off the top of my head. I was going to say that I am actually quite disappointed by the opening because I love Bump of Chicken as a band especially their music for Marsh Comes In Like a Lion or Spy Family, those openings. But I still like this song. It's just the animation is like hugely comprised of mostly still frames. The last shot of the party eating is amazing, but I was hoping for a lot more. And because we're getting two cores of this, it'll be interesting to see if it changes and if we get something more dynamic. But that's the one part of the show that I've been slightly disappointed by, which is obviously not a big deal, but... I've been really enjoying it. I'm actually interested to see if the narrative expands beyond them just traveling and making new food and if there's a broader world, if there's a larger size and scope. But I think the fact that we're getting this for 24 episodes is really nice for that. And the last thing I wanted to mention is actually not only is it so up your alley in terms of the fantasy genre and the food, it's also just very Dungeons and Dragons inspired. <laughs> So it yeah. could not be more tailor-made for you, I don't think. To address those things that you said in order, I think the reason that I don't have a good comment on the opening is because it wasn't memorable to me. And probably for the same reason, it probably is disappointing. I just didn't care enough. Yes, I think that's part of just why fantasy, again, is so appealing to me, because it just has that feeling of adventuring into different layers. And every episode, you have no idea what you're going to see, because it does feel kind of slice of lifey, even though there is this like overall goal yeah. that they're reaching towards. You just go into every episode and you're like, oh, what the fuck are they going to find today and eat today? And as someone who loves cooking and who loves fantasy, this is right up my alley for every reason. I actually do watch every episode and I'm like, Damn, like it would be interesting to make a stir fry today. You're fucking senshi. <laughs> yeah, exactly, dude. I'm like out here like, oh man, like maybe I'm going to make potato and leek soup tomorrow. Obviously, I don't want to think too hard about what they're eating, like I said before, but it is just inspirational in a lot of ways to watch this and to be like, yes, I'm totally relaxed watching this. I don't know if there's going to be more lore that gets darker. Like, for some reason, I'm sitting here being like, I am sus about this. There has to be something darker to this reincarnation story. But I don't know. I'm not sure it's going to be darker, but I feel like they probably will rescue Fallen at some point. 
And I am interested in seeing what happens after that. Specifically, there's a shot in the opening of Marcel with a bunch of other elves. And I'm like, okay, that sort of implies something about her backstory is going to come out at some point. So I feel like there has to be at least a little bit more narrative and character work. I don't know if it'll be dark. I think that might be weird for the tone of the series. But yeah, I've been really enjoying it. If you had to take one classic fantasy monster and cook it, (laughs) what would you cook? Hmm. Does it have to be vegetarian? No. I'm vegetarian, so. Then pick a vegetarian (laughs) one. (laughs) Um... Have you ever seen, you almost surely have seen Pan's Labyrinth. I actually have not. What? I'm scared as fuck of watching that movie. Oh, that's true. That's true. That's true. (laughs) It looks too horror adjacent and I'm like, fuck, I want to watch it, but also it scares me. (laughs) I'm only saying this because I'm vegetarian, but the mandrake root they have in Pan's Labyrinth is like one of those things that I'm like, man, I do wonder, am I like hallucinating? Like, is mandrake an actual thing? I think it is. He's looking it up right now. I looked it up. It is. It's a thing? I think so. You're saying I could actually eat this? The U.S. Forest Service says mandrakes are stemless, perennial herbs with large taproots that can grow up to two oh, feet in length. fuck yeah. So I think you could eat that. But I'm assuming you mean like one of the mandrakes that is like alive. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. If it could be anything, probably dragon. <laughs> It's just like the epitome of fantasy when think about yeah. like fantasy. It's like dragons. Well, I'm going to be the first one there for the dragon BBQ that you <laughs> <laughs> The fucking Korean dragon BBQ. Yeah. The sashimi. I'm there. <laughs> dragon sashimi is interesting. <laughs> or bad, maybe. <laughs> Have you tried like raw meat that's not fish? No. Why is that? Like, I know people eat like beef tartare, but like. Okay, yeah, no, I have tried it because I've had. Oh, you have? (laughs) Yeah, but like in very small quantities, usually. I've never had like as much as I have had in sushi or sashimi. There is also like beef sushi and other things like that, which I don't really know if I've had to be 100% honest with you. But at baseline, I'm kind of at this point kind of averse to meat, except chicken. I still miss chicken so much. (laughs) But. Eating raw beef just sounds gross to me. And I know, again, that's a me problem. No, I think for most people, and that might just be because of what we're conditioned to being used to, but eating raw seafood is much more common than palatable for a lot of people, at least in the West, and then eating raw meat. Ugh, it's like mushy (laughs) and like fucking bloody, bro. You mean it's meshy. Okay. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's move on to our next series, which is A Sign of Affection, being done by Ajiado. So much like you, it seems like I have also embarked upon my shoujo awakening this past year. Yeah! (laughs) I saw Banana Fish a few months ago. I just finished Yamada-kun at level 999. I'm currently watching Fruits Basket. And now we have also decided to watch a sign of affection. The show tells the story of Yuki Itosei, a deaf college student whose disability has prevented her from being able to experience the world beyond her hometown. If that sounds bad to you, I will get to that later. One day, while on the train, she meets another student from her college, Itsuomi Nagi. He's cool and aloof, and most importantly for Yuki, he's well-traveled. 
She quickly takes an interest in him because of his adventures and his willingness to enter her world and learn her language. And as this chance relationship blossoms into romance, she looks forward to the greater world that Itsuomi will show her. So I want to say up front that I feel very ambivalent about this show. I think it does some things incredibly well, but I also think there are a number of problems that have hindered my ability to really enjoy it. First of all, let's talk about the good. A Sign of Affection does an incredible job of visually representing the experience of being deaf. It is a directorial masterpiece in the way that it illustrates how Yuki experiences her world. It uses specific camera angles to show what she's focusing on, and importantly, what she's not focusing on. It cuts in text sequences that emphasize the visual input that she prioritizes in communicating with the world, and it uses the animation and character designs and sound to highlight aspects of the experience of being deaf. In terms of the animation, I don't think it's anything incredible, but what it does really well is the detail and movement of characters' hands as they sign, and that looks incredibly fluid. Unfortunately, because I don't know sign language, I can't speak to its accuracy, which I would be interested to hear more about. The character designs I personally think are super cute and unique, and I have really been enjoying them. But I know they're hit or miss for others like yourself. No, I like the design of the characters themselves. Like, Yuki is so, so cute. I think she's super well-designed. I love all the characters when they chibiify them and in mm-hmm. certain moments kind of break the character models. Overall, I think the characters look good. The lips on them, <laughs> sometimes I'm like, whoa. I thought maybe they were doing that because, as you're saying, so much of the direction, the point of the series is focusing on the fact that Yuki herself has to really fixate on people's lips in order to try to read what they're saying. So I can see that as a justification for it. And it doesn't hinder my enjoyment of the series itself. But sometimes I'm like, holy shit, those are some (laughs) lips. (laughs) So that was the good. What really bothers me about the show are the characters. I am really frustrated by the way the show treats Yuki's character and how it characterizes Itsuomi. First of all, though, let's talk about Yuki. Why on earth did they make this romance revolve around Yuki's fascination with Itsuomi because she's interested in his ability to expand her world? I think that does a huge disservice to everything great it's done to portray what it's like to be deaf. I think the premise infantilizes Yuki, and unfortunately, it develops her into a character whose disability is unnecessarily limiting her. Worst of all, It sets up Itsuomi as an abled person who she views as quote-unquote saving her, and she almost says that explicitly when she has no need to be saved. As an example, and I think this was absolutely fucking egregious for me, the scene in the second episode when Itsuomi goes to Laos and he texts Yuki some pictures of his travels, her internal monologue verbatim in that scene is quote, I had no idea. I had never seen any of this before. Itsuomi, what kind of place is the one you're in right now? Now remember, Yuki is a college student with access to and the ability to use the internet. She is deaf. She is not fucking stupid. Why is she being portrayed as someone who can't go and look and read and experience the world without Itsuomi's help? That is incredibly frustrating for me. Now, 
Again, I will be the first person to say I have only seen two episodes of this right now, and yes, it could certainly be the experience of someone living with a disability to be afraid of venturing beyond their comfort zone to experience the world. But I think to show Yuki as someone who is incapable of doing so with that Itsuomi is frustrating at best and dangerous at worst. Briefly, I also had some issues with Itsuomi's character because I kind of hate the aloof MC who thinks it's okay to rub random people's heads without their permission. <laughs> and although the romance moves very quickly, which I did like, the pacing of the rest of the narrative was really hit or miss for me. In particular, there is so much time spent on repetitive things like Yugi, again, fantasizing about how much bigger the world would be through Itsuomi's eyes or questioning, you know, is it just love or is it a crush? And I feel like the show had no reason to spend that much time on these things when it could have used that time elsewhere. We were texting about this show, and I was sending you pictures of it. And at that point, I remember myself being like, wow, I'm really enjoying the show. To a degree, I've really been enjoying a lot of romances in shoujo. And it does so many things so well, especially with regard to its portrayal of the experience of being a deaf person that I didn't expect to have these many criticisms about it. And when I sat down to even write the synopsis, I had to like six times think about how to write that first line. The show is telling the story of a deaf college student whose disability has prevented her from being able to experience the world beyond her hometown. And I think that does a disservice to what it's like to be deaf. Of course, in our world does limit people from being able to do things because people with disabilities live in our world oftentimes unseen and unthought about. And there are things that people like us are doing to prevent them from being able to fully experience the world. But to show it like that, to have Yuki rely on Itsuomi and want Itsuomi to expand her world, that was super frustrating for me. So I don't entirely disagree with most of the things you've said, and some of them have frustrated me as well. To your point about whether a lot of these experiences are lived-in experiences for people living with disability. One thing that I do know is that the mangaka actually has a very close deaf friend who's a close advisor on the series. And I would presume that a lot of the experiences are in there because they are experiences that their friend has had. So some of those things came through for me. For example, Oshi, you didn't mention at all, he's the childhood friend of Yuki. And he comes across as a fucking asshole. Yeah. But that is actually, to me, a very realistic depiction of someone who thinks that they are helping someone with a disability, but just go about it in the wrong ways, thinking that they're entitled to them because of the fact that they're helping them or they learn sign or something like that. So that felt to me like a realistic depiction of someone that wants to help, but in that way is being ableist and taking away agency from someone with a disability. On the Itsuomi point, I actually tend to agree with almost everything you said. I do like the idea. I think as a hook, the fact that he loves to travel and that their romance can make Yuki grow more curious about the outside world and push the boundaries of what she's already experienced can be done well, is interesting in theory. But as you mentioned, the fact that he's so aloof, way too touchy without consent, I just don't love these sort of quiet guys who, I don't know, they just really don't do it for me. And Itsuobi feels like he doesn't do it for me. And he's doing some things that I feel like are too forward and some boundaries need to be set. On the point about Yuki, I agree. And I've been watching this with my partner. And so we've been having a lot of conversations about how the show is 
portraying her, I don't know if to be infantilized, like you said, but as being someone who is looking at Itsuomi to basically save her, to show her the outside world, et cetera, et cetera. That is really frustrating to watch. And clearly in real life, that would be a problematic way to start a relationship. Now, I feel like I'm less harsh on it because I'm waiting to see where that goes. Because if they actually tackle that idea and say, okay, she's had a really hard upbringing, hasn't been able to experience travel and all these other things that other people have, and Itsuomi is her gateway into that, but then she becomes independent. They have all these conversations in which they really start to be on equal footing and she grows independently and not with Itsuomi as some sort of savior. That would be great. And then I would be like, okay, the setup might have been true to people's lived in experiences. And we're expanding off of that and showing how Yuki can be less dependent on him and have a healthier relationship with him. If the series just never tackles it, which is also a possibility, that will be frustrating. And I will have exactly the same opinion as what you said. So I feel like with Yuki, I think she's an incredibly cute character. She's really fun to watch. She's very endearing. And I hope that they tackle her independency and her agency as the series goes on. I don't know if it will. And if it doesn't, that will be a problem, I think. I think at the end of the day, as someone who's not a member of the deaf community, I would really like to have this conversation with someone who is so that they can give their own opinions about what they think about this narrative. I don't want to presume to be like, yeah, like I understand that community and I understand the representation of deaf people within this show. And I'm out here trying to be a white knight for people. But it is extremely frustrating to me to watch this and just at baseline to see the relationship between these two on a level where it feels like I don't really like the motivations of either character. I just really don't like Itsuomi's character at baseline. He is kind of weird. Like you said, he's kind of touchy. I understand why he is appealing for Yuki, especially, as you said, given her upbringing, given the fact that she's been so contained within this world for all of her life and wants to break beyond it. But as a character... The representations we've seen in the show so far of Itsuomi helping break her out of it are things that she could have done herself. And that is incredibly frustrating for me. I really wish that the instances of Itsuomi bringing her out of her shell, relying on the world beyond her town, were less contrived and less problematic. I will continue watching the show. Like, again, I thought the characters were cute. I loved the direction of it. I want to see more about her lived experience and, again, how it represents being deaf. But I don't know. These aspects of it have prevented me from enjoying the show as much as I could have. Yeah, and I think the only reason for me in why it is not affecting my enjoyment as much is partly compartmentalizing it a little bit and kind of accepting some of the tropes, but also in holding out a little bit of judgment and waiting to see where they take her disability and how that interacts with her relationship and knowing that some of the direction and portrayal of that disability has been genuinely amazing. And I guess I do want to shout out the things that I enjoyed, which were very similar to the ones that you did, which were really, really the best part of the series being Yuki's hearing impairment and how that's portrayed. I think the fact that the series centers around this almost makes comparisons with a silent voice inevitable. And that's a movie that we both love and think is amazing, but it fundamentally tells a different story because it focuses on Shoya and his personal growth. 
And Shoko is obviously central to that growth, but at least to me, she doesn't ever feel like the main character of that movie. And what's great about A Sign of Affection is exactly what you said, is that it makes Yuki the POV character. It uses sound design, color, monologues to give us a glimpse into how she views the world at any given moment. And I think, just to reiterate, they've done an extraordinary job of capturing that. And then the final thing is that I think given this, given that A Condition Called Love is another shoujo series that I've heard a lot about that people are excited about that's airing next season, given that we just got Yamada-kun and a few other series in the past year, it does feel genuinely pretty good that there are some really, really solid adaptations of shoujo material coming out. It doesn't mean that we have to like every one of them, but just the fact that they exist and that we are getting more quote-unquote high-profile shoujo adaptations, I have been really, really enjoying having that be part of the seasonal diet and not just feeling like, okay, if I want to get some good shoujo, I have to make time to go watch all of Nana or something like that. So having that now built into shows that are coming out has genuinely been really great. I have seen a lot of the comparisons to A Silent Voice, and the more I've seen about them, the more I think they're relatively unfounded. They're two completely different works with two completely different premises. In A Silent Voice, as you said, I don't think there was any assumption that Shoko is the MC. She is not. No. I forget the guy's name, but... Shoya. <laughs> is it really yeah. Shoko and Shoya? There we go. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Shoya is clearly the MC there. And the entire point of that story is the story of his redemption, of him coming to terms with the fact that he was a bully and trying to make amends for his life and the romance that blossoms as a result of him trying to make those amends. I think that is completely different from the romance developing here, focusing on the experience of being deaf here. I don't think deafness was such a big part of a silent voice because, again, it focused so little on Shoko. It was there, but it wasn't the main point. Here, it seems to be the main point along with the romance. I totally agree. I think my only point in bringing it up is yeah. while I love the silent voice, it is actually really nice to have a deaf main character and yeah. see the POV from that perspective. And given that they've done that so well, I am thankful to get this adaptation just to at least see that. And everything we've talked about, hopefully we come full circle. I've just seen so many comparisons between Shoko and Yuki at this point and being like, no, Shoko was a better MC because (laughs) she wasn't flawed in these ways. And I was like, (laughs) well, exactly. But besides that, it's more of the point of like, you're literally comparing apples and oranges. These aren't comparable here. Totally agree. Well, we'll check back in once this is done airing and hopefully they've addressed some of these things. But I have so far, even given some of those qualms, really been enjoying the series. Probably other than dungeon meshy of the new stuff it's been up there for enjoyment i think for me all right the one that everybody has been waiting for actually not anymore because i don't think anybody is watching it except for me (laughs) (laughs) metallic rouge being done over at studio bones yeah so my first experience with Studio Bones was one of my first experiences with anime altogether, which was 2008's adaptation of Soul Eater. And I was immediately hooked. I have talked about Soul Eater ad nauseum on this podcast. We have talked about how much I loved it, how I wished it received the Brotherhood treatment that Studio Bones eventually did give to FMA. But regardless of Copium. That, <laughs> I love Studio Bones. I love so many of its productions, again, from Full Metal Alchemist to the Cowboy Bebop movie, which you haven't talked about still, I think. Did you talk about that yet? I don't remember if I talked about that on the podcast or not. I did go see it. It was great. 
Okay, you enjoyed it. All right. Yeah, yeah I really enjoyed it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't remember if you talked about it, but me neither. But <laughs> yeah. So I said to the Cowboy Bebop movie, it's also Mob Psycho. So when I found out at Anime NYC that they were producing an original anime to celebrate their 25th anniversary. Of course I was super excited. And to be able to experience that first episode at the con in the presence of staff from Bones, including writer Yutaka Izubuchi and producer Masahiko Minami, that was an absolute treat. However, after watching that first episode, I was still excited to see how the project would develop, but I was also wary about the scale of what was being set up. And looking at the MAL score now, it seems like some of those qualms may have been valid. Before we get to that, though, what is Metallic Rouge about? Set in the far future, humans have now colonized Mars, where they live alongside androids. These androids, known as Neons, occupy a subservient role and often face discrimination from humans. In this society, we follow an android known as Rouge Redstar, a member of a secret force whose goal is to destroy nine rebellious Neons known as the, quote, Immortal Nine. Alongside her partner, Naomi Orthman, which is a real fucking wild name, Rouge undertakes this mission. But as she does, she begins to question her motivations and the state of society at large. Now, I talked about Metallic Rouge a little bit in our Anime NYC recap episode that happened a few months ago. And there I had mentioned how although the show looks and it sounds amazing, it was very dense, both thematically and in terms of the lore within the first episode. Even in the first episode, there were many narrative and historical threads that were set up that I was happy to see, but worried would go unexplored in a single season production. And to be honest, I haven't yet continued to watch Metallic Rouge, but you have. So why don't you tell me what you think and how it's executed itself in those first few episodes? So I was... Similarly, very excited for Metallic Rouge, knowing that it was the anniversary project for Bones, knowing that it was a sci-fi series with hand-drawn, not really mechs, but basically fucking mech suits. And knowing that it had what looked to me like pretty cool designs for the two main characters, and knowing that it was an original because, you know, we've been talking specifically in the context of last year about the lack of really standout originals. And so we're always trying to support those kind of projects. That excitement was definitely dampered somewhat because after you saw the first episode at Anime NYC and were not that thrilled about it, I adjusted my expectations at least a little bit, but I was still excited to go see it. Then I went and watched that first episode, which is the one that you saw, and I was still decently interested after that, to be honest. It seemed like Rouge and Naomi had a promising Chisato and Takina-esque dynamic. I knew it wouldn't reach the heights of... Like a record, How dare but, you compare these two? But it seemed like they might have a fun kind of buddy cop dynamic. The action was quite good in that first episode. And the plot at least had some potential to be interesting with the main duo hunting down these other Neons. Then I watched episode two. And then CGI mechs appeared, which is not what I was promised. And <laughs> now after having seen episode six, I still have no idea what the main plot thread is about. Like uh, you could no. ask me what the plot is. I don't know. That's I know they're good. hunting these Neons. I don't know anything else that is happening. You talked about how dense that first episode was. I don't understand any of the what <laughs> is happening. And ultimately it's not important. And in many shows you can just kind of ignore that and watch it anyways. And you can do that here. But they talk about it so much that not knowing what the fuck is going on is 
weird and disorienting, and it has no reason to be like this given that it is original content. So unfortunately, Metallic Cruise is just not that great. I do wanna say that the mouse score is in my opinion, pretty brutal because there are definitely a lot worse series than this. And Metallic Rouge is, I wouldn't even say terrible. It's just more boring than it is bad. I don't have that much to say that is interesting or worthwhile about the series. Other than that, it just kind of amounts to what ends up being some generic narrative about the coexistence of humans and robots. There's no other real interesting hook or twist being implemented here. The character dynamics between Naomi and Rouge, they are still okay, but none of the other characters are really interesting at all. And the plot seems to be meandering in, as I mentioned, sort of unclear ways with lots of these random lore and name drops. I was trying to hold off on this judgment because I think originals sometimes need time to really cook and for a few episodes to come out so that you know where things are going, but it does really look like barring a miracle, Metallic Rouge is going to end up being pretty disappointing. That's really sad. You know, when I said what I said about the first episode after I had seen it at Endman NYC, I was still very hopeful because like we talked about, there's a lot of lore. There's a lot of info dump within that first episode, but they also do intersperse great action and again, amazing characters and great sound design and all of these things. And so it's really sad to see this project kind of fall flat. I think that it's not a bad thing to give so much lore early on. I think especially for like a fantasy series or a sci-fi series that it really inserts you into the world and kind of forces you to explore everything that's going on. And there are a number of shows that do that incredibly well, that do explore a lot of like the societal structure and a lot of the world in that first episode, even though it's an info dump. Like Psychopaths is a great example where you get introduced to a new world, society, the Sybil system, the fucking like whatever the destroyer gun thing is in the first episode. And you just have to deal with it and figure out what's going on. And I was hoping that would happen here. And unfortunately, it hasn't. The CGI mechs probably won't ruin it for me, but if you are telling me that like six episodes in, you have no fucking idea what's going on, that's not a good sign. The CGI mechs was mostly for a comedic effect. Like it did happen in episode two, but a lot of the other mech stuff still genuinely looks yeah. pretty good. When she transformed, I was like, this reminds me a lot of Kill a Kill's transformation. I could see that, yeah. I was hoping that it would have, I mean, obviously you're not going to get to the comedy goal that is Kill a Kill, but... I was hoping it would have some of the same interesting thematic matter. It's just not going to, it sounds like. It doesn't really seem like it. I mean, it always could just do a 180 in the back half and be worthwhile, but... Bold move. I would be genuinely surprised, to be honest. But to your point, yeah, series can definitely drop lore, and lots of series that we love do that. If you remember that first double episode of Fate Zero, for example, is so much fucking exposition, and yeah. it has to set out what the Holy Grail lore is and give you enough to really then later build on everything in a way that makes sense. The problem is not really to me the first episode is that it doesn't ever Metallic Rouge build on the things that it sets out. It feels like everything is just disconnected and being set and it doesn't actually feel like there is a plan or a structure for everything to come together or at least it is not portrayed in a way that I find accessible and interesting. <sighs> Every time I make these criticisms and I don't know if you feel like this too, it really just frustrates me to think about what happened that some writers sat in a room together and were like, we're going to make this production and we're going to set it out this way with this script. Do they think people were going to get it? What did they think was going on? 
I'm sure they did. I mean, obviously there are probably exceptions in which production was really rushed and they had to put something together. You never know what's happening behind the scenes. But I assume writers are generally talented and generally trying to do good work. And for some reason, either this group of writers didn't mesh well together or who the fuck knows. But, but it's someone not coming read together. that back, bro. <laughs> like, just read it back. Come on. I mean, there's also steps, right? From the writing yeah. of the script to the actual implementation and the animation and everything. So there's potential that stuff got cut. Like, who actually knows? But... If they watch these episodes back, I mean, that's one of the problems with anime is stuff is usually being made on a weekly schedule. So you never get to see the full thing before it actually airs unless you're like fucking QAnnie. So there is not really a chance to do retakes in that way. But I don't think you could watch this back and not be like, hmm, that might be confusing. But sometimes maybe you lose sight of that if you've been working on something for so long. I don't know. Maybe. All right. Last series of this season is... Buchigiri, which is being done by MAPPA. And have you even heard of this? No, until you told me about <laughs> it. And the fact that it's below Metallic Rouge on this list is kind of worrying to me. <laughs> well, that's just in terms of the popularity, the number of people. Yeah, watching. I know. And it's dropped off <laughs> rapidly. I think Mal keeps counting stuff, even if people put it on their dropped. So I see. that's a problem. Anyways, what is this series that you've never heard of about. I'm gonna to try to explain this plot and you tell me if this makes sense or sounds reasonable to you. I'm assuming you're only watching this because of some like director or studio or Correct. something. <laughs> Motherfucker. <laughs> I hope it's good for your sake. It is pretty good, I'll get to that. Arjin Tomoshibi is our MC and he's just moved back to his hometown and rolling in the local high school that seems to be exclusively, and I mean exclusively, made up of delinquents. The one cute girl in his class that Arjin eventually sets his eyes on is Maharo Jin, who happens to be the younger sister of Marito Jin, the leader of the local Siguma gang. Meanwhile, his childhood friend who he reconnects with, Matsukara Asamine, belongs to the rival gang of Minato Kai. Bro, this is just Tokyo Avengers. While chasing after Maharo, Arjun gets involved in the rivalry between the gangs and accidentally releases a genie named Senya, a long-imprisoned spirit from a town shrine who now accompanies him, giving him powerful punching abilities that are driven by his desire to lose his virginity. <laughs> All right, I'm watching this. Sounds good. You sold me. So... In our year in review, we talked about how 2023 was pretty lacking in anime originals. I just mentioned that with Metallic Rouge. And so it's nice to see that 2024 kicks off with one that I am actually enjoying a decent amount. I thought it was going to be Metallic Rouge, and it is not Metallic Rouge, but at least there's something else. The best way that I can sell Buchigiri is that it's what would happen if you took good old school, old fashioned delinquent anime gave certain characters stands like in JoJo's and also made everyone as gay as possible. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> the dynamic that ends up developing in the show is that Arjun's fusion with Senya makes all of the male gang leaders lust after him to join their gang on top of Matsukara, his childhood friend, already wanting to reconnect with him. So you have this hilarious tension of the main character chasing after one girl while everyone else is chasing after him. Uchigiri is just one of those insane concepts for a show that, because it's MAPPA, of course, has some production issues that have been talked about, but otherwise is a really fun and energetic watch. I don't know how it's possible to be gayer than JoJo's with a similar concept, but somehow <laughs> this has achieved it. 
<laughs> How is no one watching this? I honestly, I'm surprised I'd never heard of this. So as you mentioned, there's probably a director that I'm interested in, which is why I'm watching this. And that director is Hiroko Utsumi, who's actually best known for her work at Kirani as the director of Free, not a series I've seen. But since leaving that studio, she's directed Banana Fish at MAPPA and then created and directed Skate the Infinity at Bones. So between Free and Skate, those are two other originals. And looking at her career trajectory is pretty interesting because she does a lot of, as I mentioned, original shows, but all of these shows are about groups of basically gay men. And it almost feels like she was restrained in what she could do at Kiani because Free has this sports setting and does have a group of what you can read as gay men. But once you've seen her leave Kiani and work on this and Banana Fish and Skate the Infinity, she's become so much more eccentric and out of the box with the types of projects and the original projects that she's actually putting out. Buchigiri falls right in line with that. It takes inspiration actually from 1001 Nights and a lot of delinquent classics, as I mentioned, for what is probably the wildest, most outlandish thing that she could have come up with. But for me, it's probably the most surprising series of the season. I don't think it's going to win any Anime of the Year awards when we do our 2024 year in review, but it is nice to find something that surprises you in some ways and has you just turning something on, turning your brain off and enjoying it. Also, even if you don't go watch the show, you have to go watch the OP and the ED because they're very fun and worth a watch. Especially the ED has that thing that you love where all the characters are dancing. Oh, fuck and yeah. very hilariously, it makes it seem like Maharo, the girl that he's interested in, is the one making all of the guys cream themselves, quite literally. <laughs> what? Which is completely opposite of what happens in the actual show itself. So it is a pretty ridiculous show, to be honest, but I've been enjoying it and having fun with it. It does sound like a lot of fun. Is it etchy? No. Hmm. You really should go watch Prison School, man. <laughs> I'm saving Prison School for our second etchy episode whenever that happens. Well, I think everything you said about this kind of sold it for me. I will try and watch it. It sounds like a lot of fun, actually. Uh, I had never heard of this director. A lot of the work that she's done are stuff that I really enjoyed. I have seen Free. I have seen Banana Fish. Oh, I you've have seen not Free. Seen, yeah, I have not seen Skate the Infinity. And I think all of those I have enjoyed. I didn't enjoy Free that much just because it felt like a lot of queer baiting at points when I'm like, can they please just get together? But it was like about the sport, but about the relationships and there's a lot of drama. I did enjoy it. That is kind of what I mean about her career feeling restrained until she left yeah. Kirani because as much as we love Kirani, from a marketing perspective, they will probably never explicitly make something queer Maybe Liz and the Bluebird counts, but in general, they don't really do that. And then now that she's outside of that, it is pretty explicitly just like, oh, yeah, I don't know how you could read this as anything other than being queer and adding all of these eccentric ideas. So it's been fun to watch her make original stuff. Nice. I'm excited. Have you seen any classic delinquent anime, by the way? I haven't really. I've seen GTO. Oh, you have seen GTO. Okay. That's mm -hmm. the one that always comes to mind, which I haven't seen. Was it good? Yeah. I mean, GTO is a classic. It's hilarious. Yeah. The teacher aspect of it is actually, again, like I said hilarious, but it's actually, when you get to the end of it, it's just a very heartwarming story. It's rewarding. When I think of delinquent anime, that's what I think of. I mean, I've seen a little bit of Tokyo Revengers, like we said. Yeah, that fell off really hard. <laughs> Yu Hakusho's classic delinquent anime. I haven't seen a lot of these, so it's interesting for me to 
watch this not having watched the classics it's a bit like obviously not the same extent but watching madoka without having watched any other <laughs> magical girl stuff but a lot of people do that and then it becomes sort of a yeah. gateway into the genre itself so i will eventually watch yeah yu yu show and great teacher onizuka and stuff like that but it's nice to see at least some kind of original fun twist on it all right, that's it for the shows we had time to check out. So let's run down the other shows that are airing this season that we've seen people talk about in some discourse. The first on this list is Classroom of the Elite Season 3 being done at Lerche. You really wanted me to put this on there. You didn't I know even have it on here. What are you talking about? <laughs> I know it's really popular. I have not seen a single person talking about this, which I feel like maybe happens sometimes with not the mega popular sequels, but just sequels of shows that are decently popular. It's just that fandom is watching them. And if you're not in that fandom, then you don't see anything about it. And I feel like that's what's happening here. How many fucking <laughs> posts have you seen about Kingdom, bro? Like Kingdom season five None. is coming on. Exactly. That's like one of the most popular shows ever. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. It's just siloed <laughs> yeah. off into their fandom and no one else cares. <laughs> I've been meaning to watch Kingdom for a while now. Uh, and to know that another season is coming out is really exciting for me. So I will get to that eventually. I had to put Classroom of the Elite on here because I was actually going to watch it for this episode. I am just getting absolutely fucking obliterated <laughs> right now. So unfortunately, I did not have time for that. I said that the first and second season were middling at best at points. And so I'll continue watching it just for completionist sake. And there are some aspects of it that I did enjoy and wanted to see some characters kind of get more backstory and more development. But am I hopeful it's going to be like a good show for me? No. I'm actually pleasantly surprised that I know how little time you have to actually watch anime. So the fact that you've actually finished a rewatch of the first season of Vinland Saga or now going to watch the second season, you had time to watch quite a bit of I Fruits Basket. I should not have done that. I know you probably should not have, but treat yourself. It's nice to hear. The way this worked <laughs> is I started watching it over dinner with my partner and then then it was Jover. <laughs> yeah, she was like, let's continue watching this. And I was like, why don't you keep watching it? And I'll work while you watch it. While why would background. you think that would work? <laughs> and then we got to episode like 16 or something when I'm not going to spoil Vinland Saga in this episode. But there were events that happened that really start the tension within the political maneuvering behind the scenes. And then at that point, I was like watching it fully with my laptop on my lap. <laughs> and then today we watched the last four episodes and I had like fully just shut my laptop, just watching 100% attention, which is a problem. But it is what it is. <laughs> Enjoy your life. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> also coming out this season is the second season of The Dangers in My Heart being done at Shin A Animation. I know that people really like this series. It has, if you haven't seen, an amazing Tetsuro Rocky opening for season two, which is worth going to see. I cannot get over the fact that the premise for this supposedly cute and wholesome rom-com starts with this guy wanting to like murder people in his class and the most popular girl in his class. And then he ends up somehow growing and being rewarded with dating her. Like that to me just feels like a instant turnoff of a premise. But everybody I swear that has seen this swears that it is enjoyable. So maybe it genuinely does become good. I don't know what else to say about that. Give it a chance. <laughs> I don't know if I'll do that. We also have Hokkaido Gals Are Super Adorable being done by Silverlink and Blade. This looks trashy, but <laughs> you're enjoying it. I great. saw the character designs <laughs> and I was like, nope, not happening. There were some shots that I thought, I actually think Colleen tweeted one of these or at least quote tweeted one of these designs where the girl has like enormous, enormous breasts and like these tiny little fucking T-Rex hands. And I'm like, what? Who is, who is this for? Who is this being made for? <laughs> I don't know, man. 
Speaking of trashy, we also have Gushing Over Magical Girls being done by Asahi Production. I bet you expected me to be watching that, but I had no (laughs) notions that you would be watching that. We also have The Witch and the Beast being done by Yokohama Animation Lab. I know some people have actually been enjoying that, I've heard. I don't think it's being super highly watched, but maybe it is enjoyable. Also, the second season of Urusei Yatsura by David Productions. I expected you to be watching I was going to say, this is the one you're actually surprised I'm not watching. I might eventually, when I get a desire to just turn my brain off. No. You have so much One Piece to watch. <laughs> watch my guilty pleasure anime. No, I'm talking in like a year when I'm caught up to One Piece. Maybe I'll like in turn this on. In what universe are you going to be caught up to One Piece in a year? There is no chance. I am going to try to do that. That's the plan. There is no chance. I am going to set the bar so you can exceed it. But goddamn, there's no chance. I'm trying to be watching weekly in January 2025. That's the plan. We'll see what happens. That's never going to happen, but good luck. <laughs> Thanks. Why don't you believe in me? I, again, set the bar so you can exceed my expectations. Yeah, fill me with encouragement. Come. <laughs> also that. I'll be gushing over you. Okay. <laughs> uh, we also have Sengoku Yoko being done at White Fox. This one actually looks pretty interesting, and I usually like White Fox adaptations it's an adaptation of a work by a mangaka that people really like who also did lucifer and the biscuit hammer which had a horrible adaptation but people like the stuff that they actually put out in the source material so this was one that i was considering watching i think what turned me off is that you know i'm a completionist and it's already been announced for three cores so like 37 episodes and i'm like i can't commit to that unless i know it is really worth it so you don't have to well you can watch it and then tell me resist your tendencies (laughs) No. If you fucking can't watch it, why the fuck would I watch it? <laughs> Being a completionist is the only thing that's going to make me finish One Piece by January. I'm a completionist in things I have enjoyed, unlike you, who will continue <laughs> watching fucking Undead Unlock. I am who I am. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, there is another series called Brave Bang Bravern being that's done by Side Games Pictures. It's not a hentai. <laughs> I think it is... Uh, Actually, very good and well-received, even though it is quite niche mecha series that also seems to be very gay. There is a specific Discord user, formerly known as Broke Boy, who has been raving about this and never raves about seasonal anime. I'm sorry we did not get to watch this for you, but I have actually <laughs> genuinely heard that it is pretty good. You don't have anything to say for yourself? No apologies for not watching this? Uh, no. <laughs> I mean, bro, I'm not watching things I want to watch. I'm not going to watch fucking hentai bang Braverin, so. <laughs> All right. Anything else you want to say to wrap up the episode? I really wish I were enjoying this season more than I am, unfortunately. It's kind of a downer. I don't mean it to be that way. I still think there are a lot of things to watch this season including the continuing seasons that we talked about with Free Rin and Apothecary Diaries. I just had higher expectations for some of the stuff coming out, and it just hasn't Again, I started off the episode by saying maybe it's a me problem with the way I've been reading things like A Sign of Affection. And maybe people, again, in communities that are better able to interpret those shows have a different interpretation. And I'd love to hear them. But right now, I have not enjoyed this season as much as I wanted to. But at least there's Dungeon Meshi, so we'll take it. I know. I'll take the one. <laughs> it's weird contextualizing this by being like, there's three things that I fucking love coming out this season, <laughs> but everything else isn't great, so I'm down about it. Again, everything is contextualized by the fact that we have for so long now had amazing things to choose from in the seasons, and this season is just a little lighter. And so I know I shouldn't be complaining this much, but everything I've been watching in the last 
couple weeks to get caught up with this has just not hit me in the way that I wanted. Except for Dungeon Meshi. I'm telling you, it's winter, man. Weird, weird season. <laughs> Maybe I just have fucking seasonal affective disorder and I'm like out here like everything's not as good. I think the anime industry has seasonal affective disorder, basically. Everyone actually has a seasonal affective disorder. It's not in the DSM. It's true. <laughs> All right, that's been it from us for the winter 2024 first impressions episode. Hopefully you enjoyed. Our next episode, we are working on getting a guest on the podcast. TBD if that'll come to fruition or not. If not, we have a backup episode planned and we'll get that to you instead. So surprise episode. Stay tuned. See if that happens. <laughs> I'll be coming out in two weeks. <laughs> Otherwise, subscribe to the podcast anywhere you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, anywhere else. Please leave us a rating and a review. It really helps out the show if you do that. Check out our website, bakabanter.com. Recently, we actually revamped the website, so you should go check it out. It's not we. You need to take the credit. You did it. It looks <laughs> I great. I revamped the website. I'm happy to hear that you like it. People should go check it out. Not that that is the most exciting news, but give us website feedback. We're also thinking about putting some other stuff on the website. Currently, we have recent episodes and where you can subscribe and little profiles for all of our guests, but we probably want to put eventually some of the graphics and stuff that we've made for different episodes. So if you have ideas, you have suggestions, you want to check out the website, give us feedback. That would be great. Feel free to do that. Follow us on Twitter at BakamantraPod and also join our Discord server. Why are you laughing? <laughs> I'm doing a great job. <laughs> I've noticed you have been doing a great job. I've noticed that more and more people are actually just calling it X now. And I'm wondering when we're going to move to stop Never. saying Twitter. <laughs> I'm going to say Twitter always. <laughs> Forever. Join our Discord server. It's a great place to hang out with us, chat. We have a really, really great community there. So that's a great place to interact with us as well. And you can find the link in our Twitter profile pinned there, or you can find it on our website. That's been it from us. We've been the Baca Banter Lads, and we'll catch you all in the next one. Bye.